Welcome to Switcheroo, a dirty little podcast about religion, sex, and all the in-between parts. With your hosts, Maggie Baxter, an atheist turned evangelical, and Nick Vu, an evangelical turned atheist. Make a trumpet sound. Make a clarinet sound. Make a piccolo sound. Ugh, I fucking hate piccolo. <laughs> I was sitting in the backyard sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there. She was mowing the lawn. Hey. I said, hey, Zazik, who's this girl back here? That's the lawnmower girl. What's she doing? Is she talking on the telephone? Hey, we're recording. Hey, we're, we're in progress. We're not together, but we are together. Yeah, we're quarantining from each other. Yeah, but not because we're sick. We're yeah, because our friendship is on the rocks. Uh, it's because is that our why friendship Maggie? is sick. Our friendship <laughs> <laughs> has a disease, and the disease is too much love. Uh, there's just too much love here, and mm-hmm. we had to cool it off a little bit. Yeah, it was getting weird. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody thinks that. What are you doing this weekend? What am I doing this weekend? Yeah. Well, it was my birthday yesterday. Mm. And so doing a little It was not your birthday yesterday. It was your birthday two days ago. Oh, you're right. Jeez. Get it Uh, together. When you're this old, (laughs) you just can't keep track of any time. How many years have you been on the planet? 41. Nice. Right? Yeah. Nice. I'm already, last night I was just like, uh, I'm almost 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big jump. Big. Yeah, I know. But still, but I can closer picture myself as 50. You're closer to, so, to 50 in decades like, than you were I'm when you were so 10. so deep in my 40s now. <laughs> I'm not barely 40 anymore. Uh, you're 41. in it. You're I'm, you I'm have, deep in it. You mm. have been oriented to it. You have been onboarded to yeah. your 40s. Now you're a, a member of the 40s. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my big hesitancies is when I was turning 40, also, it's like I have friends in their mid 20s. Mm. Yep. And even though when I was a day before 40 at 39, and 364 days. <laughs> and then the day I turned 40, it's just like, nothing has really changed. Mm-mm. But in my mind, do I have to like get rid of a bunch of my friends because this is inappropriate or just sounds weird to people? But 50, that sounds even weirder, I guess. I mean, if you're not grooming those friends and <laughs> <laughs> trying to make them your house pets or something, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think you're okay to be friends with yeah. people who are younger it's, than it's you. It's a non-issue for everybody in my world. I think the deeper issue is there, there's a little bit of insecurity there. I'm doing work. This is an inevitability, getting um, old. And the f- sooner I can embrace that, the better. Yesterday, I hung out with the girl and boy that I used to nanny for. And I started nannying for them when you and I lived together. When they were Yeah, s- I remember them coming over as toddlers. I started when they were two months old and six years old. And now I am friends with the 21 year old. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm friends with both of them, but one of them, the boy is in high school. So 
I'm still kind of nanny status with him. I'm full on friends with the 21 year old. Would you go to a bar and get a drink with the 21 year old? She doesn't really drink. So, but I would. Yeah. If she was like, Hey, will you go to a bar with me? I'd be like, absolutely. I will. Mm -hmm. But it is weird (laughs) because I knew her when she was six years old and I was an adult to her (laughs) Mm -hmm. at six. It's weird. Age is weird. It ain't nothing but a number. I mean, it ain't ain't nothing but a number. (laughs) (laughs) The big wheel keeps on turning. Sometimes it makes a difference. What's the line from Landslide, which is one of the best songs ever? I grew away. It's something about getting older. It's my wedding song. I should should know the lyrics. Yeah, wait, hold on. I'm getting older too. You're getting older and I'm getting older too. Something like that. Hold on. Google. This episode sponsored by Google. Gurgle. 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 Landslide lyrics. Well, I've been afraid of changing. It says even children get older and I'm getting older too. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. We're just afraid of change. That says. I think that's pretty normal. Time makes you bolder. Even children get older and I'm getting older too. I saw Stevie Nicks at Key Arena. God, I would love to see Stevie Nicks. Was she so witchy and cool? Oh yeah, totally. Great outfits. She had a solo career, mm-hmm. which was good, mm. but certainly not Fleetwood But the Mac Fleetwood Mac stuff is stuff. so... Yeah. Like, her doing the Fleetwood Mac stuff is pinnacle Steve Nicks. Yeah, for sure. And when she did Landslide, Oof, everyone is just crying. See, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Chicks, and the Chicks did a cover of Landslide. And when I... Is saw that the- formerly the Dixie Chicks? Correct. Formerly Dixie Chicks. When I saw them live mm-hmm. in concert and they did landslide, I was on the floor weeping and stomping mm-hmm. and sobbing. <laughs> like pounding your fists and kicking yes, your feet. Like, it's too good. <laughs> you know who else did an excellent cover? The Smashing uh, Pumpkins. Yes, they did. That was the one that we used as our wedding song. Oh, really? Yeah. I like it. I like That's it. real good. But what are you doing this weekend? Uh, we're going to have a little potluck and to celebrate the, your birthday yeah to celebrate my birthday and after the pot look we're gonna have a little sexy time mm. not all my friends that i invited over are, are into that so there'll so be kind leave. of a, a switch where it's like okay everyone who isn't into this can head home cool happy birthday to you happy birthday to me right is anybody yep. gonna film it <laughs> no we don't usually do that mm. uh, i think privacy yeah. is kind of an issue okay but that would be hot and I'd certainly watch it myself. <laughs> Good. I Yeah, what are I you doing? I obviously want to tell you what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> oh, that was a, you it asked was me so that I would ask you. Yeah. Hey Maggie. Yeah. What what are you what are you doing this weekend? We're going to the Washington coast this weekend, just husband and wife. Whoa. No kids. To... Are you just gonna leave them in the house by themselves? Yes. No. Right. No, CPS, I am not going to do that. <laughs> no, they are staying with seasoned professionals, childcare professionals. But we are going because Mike is in a band and he's playing a gig cool. on, on the coast. And at the last minute, the lead guitarist of the band backed out. So I'm going to go and sing backup vocals and oh, no play, shit. play some micro Korg. Dang, that's awesome. It's fun. Does it feel like you're a rock star? I mean, yeah, it kind of does. And then <laughs> we're going to come back late, late, late on Saturday night. And then I'm going to get up and go lead worship on Sunday morning. Speaking yeah. of late, I'm pretty sure you texted me at like 1.30 in the morning. 
No, I did not. <laughs> did I? I thought that's what my phone said. Oh, no. Yeah, I was up really late last night. It was on silent, but I'm like, then, that's not like Maggie. It has been lately. I've been having to stay up really late for work. Oh, my God. This job going to run you into well, the ground. The truth is, is that I have to. Well, well, it's a I, this is boring. I don't need to talk about <laughs> my job. That's what you get for being an international conglomerate. I know. Cheerio. Ch- Cheerio. Hip hip or pip pip. <laughs> pip pip. I don't, I don't know what it is. Good. And I drink some more of my smoothie. Looks good. Is it weird that whenever I finish my smoothie, I just put water in the cup so I could drink the smoothie the cl- dregs and it's all cloudy? Smoothie. Amanda thinks Leftovers. it's repulsive. It's kind of gross looking. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's gross in essence, but it she looks calls it my gross. swamp water. <laughs> my kid yeah, made me a good. smoothie today. That is so sweet. Now banana and peanut butter and oat milk and chocolate chip. Is it good? It's very good. Wow, you should yeah. have her cook everything, every I'm meal. Going to. I'm going to. From now on. Get up there on the stove, five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Pull your weight. <laughs> hey, Maggie. Hey, hey Nick. It's, it's good to see you on the screen. Yeah, here we are. Zooming. Zo- zooming it up. We're zooming back and forth. It's true. It's a and digital age. We are basically robots. We're live in the future. We live in the future. We live in the future. Do you know what I was thinking about today? What? That I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s, you would hear about people who were born in the late 1800s <laughs> and they were still alive. And <laughs> I'm just like, right. oh shit, that's me. And that's yeah. probably you. Like, yeah, we were born in the 1900s. I mean, assuming we make it to 2000. 70 people were gonna look back and like oh shit they were around in the 1900s in the end of the 1900s i know oh no i don't like that actually (laughs) caravanning across america to find gold (laughs) they had phones with the wires attached (laughs) (laughs) they had to wait they had to sit in front of a radio all day long to hear the song they wanted and press record on them and try to record it cassette recording <laughs> and so always the first few seconds were not there it's true oh it was always bush for me oh good old 16 stones oh 16 stone and glycerine i wasn't really into bush but they were very present Oof, I went and saw Bush in concert at Key Arena in Seattle when I was 13 years old. I was in the eighth grade and I saw them play with Veruca Salt. And Veruca Salt is still one of my favorite bands. Really? Yeah. I have heard of the band. I know it's named after the Willy Wonka. Oh my gosh. If you are looking for the most fucking rocking song ever, there's this song. It's the last song on their Eight Arms to Hold You album. And it is so good. Is that like Ganesh? Eight Arms? It's an octopus. Oh, an octopus. Is Ganesh the one with the eight arms? I I know we talked about this last time. I think we determined Ganesh. (laughs) I don't know how many arms, but octopi have eight. Oh, and I learned something, which you'll have to listen to the last episode to even know what we're talking about. The cat lady, the voluptuous oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, human body with cat head was Bassett. Ooh, Bassett. And who is Set? Is that Coyote Head? That's Coyote Head. Okay, Set is yeah. Coyote Head. Cat Head. So apparently all their gods were just animal heads. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm looking this up because I'm not sure that I remember this correctly. I looked up Bassett Hound by I'm- accident. <laughs> 
looking up the song on the Eight Arms to Hold You Veruca Salt album, and it's called Earth Crosser. That's the name okay. of the song that you've got to listen to. It's going to like make you shit your pants. Ba- Bastet, B-A-S-T-E-T. Bastet. Yeah. Cool. So you'd get with her. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and her depiction in the Sandman graphic novels is pretty sexy. Okay. And she's always naked. She's trying to get it. She's thirsty. She's, yeah, she's, she's, a thirsty kitty she's cat. going after her Sandman for sure. They have rapport. Okay. They get it. Speaking of getting it, mm-hmm. I heard you had some questions about polyamory. Mm-hmm. As I a do. Practice as a it's lifestyle. It's been coming up a lot. It's been yeah, coming up in, it. in casual conversation. <laughs> is, is the entire Christian community, are those the murmurings? Well, I will say this. There has been some pretty significant things happening in the denomination that I subscribe to. Will you say or the denomination my, or not? Yeah, it's the Christian Reformed Church. I lead in a church that is a Christian Reformed Church. I don't have any affiliation personally with the church, except that I am employed by the Christian Reformed Church. So do you have to have a membership or something to be officially? I would have to agree with doctrine in order to become a member. And I don't. Oh, that's a real thing. Like I was kind of joking about membership. No, I would have to go through a membership process and agree with certain doctrine that I don't agree with. That's kind of cool that you can be a leader in a church that you're not a member of. Yeah. I mean, you can be a janitor at a church and not be a member of it. So like Mm. you can be a worship pastor at a... Could you be the pastor? I think so. I think I could. It's kind of a loophole. If you're Mm. in leadership at a church, you don't necessarily have to become a member. But membership (laughs) is kind of nebulous anyway. It really just means I commit to give my tithes and offerings and I give my gifts and talents. (laughs) That's my offering. I'm going to cough really quick. I want to get that out too. Okay. All of our (laughs) bodily bodily things. Yeah. Now that we're so old. (laughs) My creaky bones are a real part of the podcast now. (laughs) Our meat sacks are just churning out (laughs) fluids and gases. Okay. So let me get back to CRC. The denomination has just gone through what is called the process of synod, which is the governance of the church, the global church, or I guess the national CRC has just gone through synod. So it's like a big convention of all the leadership and appointed delegates go. Like the Council of Nicaea. Kind of, yeah. But modern. But a bunch of middle-aged white dudes in plaid button-up shirts talking about how gay people are bad. It's Mm, awful. So, So like really good representation. Yeah, like super, super diverse. (laughs) (laughs) Maggie's rolling her eyes. There are some really bad, really shitty people. (laughs) They're they are just people doing their best, what they think is their best. But I have been very disappointed in the denomination in the last couple of weeks. This synod was a lot about this report that had been prepared over the last three to 10 years called the Report on Human Sexuality or the HSR, the Human Sexuality Report. And there are sections about polyamory. There are sections about homosexuality. Hmm. There are sections about monogamy and non-monogamy in marriage. And this report was done internally. They didn't outsource to a third party. No. Yeah. No, it's all done within the institution. I mean, it's very insular. It only matters to the people who are a part of this denomination. So like on a grand global level, the impact is smaller than probably a lot of these people want to admit. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. They probably all think they're very, very important. And they think their church and the denomination is the beacon of light exactly. to the hordes, to the entire world. But it was a very disappointing outcome for anybody who's queer affirming or open to conversations about any sort of non-traditional in the church sense relationship structure. And so lots of conversations have been happening around that in Facebook forums and things like that. To come back to you, something that I've actually already said twice in other episodes is that the church as a whole, and I think that includes evangelicalism and non-evangelicalism, is really far behind when it comes to social justice issues or equality issues, that the church is not prepared to deal with polyamory because there's not a good enough answer in the Bible to exclude people who are polyamorous. There's, There's not enough condemnation of it in the Bible homosexuality has been targeted pretty heavily because it's low-hanging fruit, but polyamory is not. It's going to become a lot more prevalent if the church wants to survive. It's going to have to address straight, cis, white people's fear and discomfort with alternative relationship styles. And so this big council that just happened, they doubled down on homosexuality being Yes, doubled down on that and also doubled down on polyamory. Like polyamory is a no-go, but it was a back burner topic. And I think that that is dumb of them because they're going to have to address it in the future and they're not prepared to. So that became a big deal. And they doubled down on the gay stuff. At the same time, my church that I am in leadership with that subscribes to this denomination came out as open and affirming, which to Hell yeah. It's Get very, it. very exciting. Did other churches of the denomination do the same? Across the country, a few did, but that means that these churches are eventually gonna undergo a discipline. I think the Ooh, church that like they're I, gonna be bent over and spanked. Yeah, basically. Someone's coming with a riding crop for our church at Uh, some point. (laughs) Yes. But I also came out to the congregation during that day because I was really Like, was it at the pulpit up on stage? Yes, I was on stage. Holy shit. It was a really big deal. I was sobbing, but the pastor just gave this really impassioned sermon about Jesus' love and inclusion and went through scripture and kind of debunked a lot of the things that are used as clobber material for anybody who falls into the LGBTQ plus category. He just did a really lovely job and I was really moved. I got up on stage to lead the last song and I just said, this is the most whole I have felt at a church in my entire time being a part of churches. And so it's like wow. 20 years. I said, my husband is here with me. So that might seem confusing, but I do identify as a queer woman. And so this is something I've been waiting for in church for a really, really long time. And so thank you. And just like everybody in the room is crying. <laughs> it was a really beautiful, really That's special amazing. moment. But we have yet to hear whether or not anybody knows. I mean, we're a very small church in a very small part of Washington. The scope is not grand. We don't have a lot of influence. We're kind of off the radar of the bigwigs. Eventually, someone's going to find out. (laughs) How gay you are. how, How gay I am. And that I'm a staff member at a church that is affirming when the rest of the classes and synod are not Mm -hmm. affirming. There's all this stuff about confessional status and whatever. It's all silly government Sounds like there's a lot of politics. Did you consult anyone before that coming out? Nope. 
Wow. So you didn't I, like ask your husband, let him know, hey, we're... I did know the content of the sermon. Yes. And so we were prepared for this to be the affirming sermon. We mm-hmm. knew that it was going to be this day. But no, he, <laughs> my husband was not informed ahead of time that I was going to announce to the whole congregation. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was really the pastor supportive. too, it sounds like. Yeah, the pastor didn't know, uh, but everyone was super supportive. I kind of like that it didn't need to be this big sit down with everybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have been good to let everyone know the plan, but like you were feeling it in the moment. I did, yeah, this is, I did not plan to do thing it. It to was share con- and it shouldn't be contingent on really what anyone else thinks. <laughs> I was crying so hard that I could barely lead the last song. And at one point I like kind of bent over to pick up a guitar pick and a piccolo to, to- <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. You would leave the piccolo on the ground? I would. I would throw it out the window. Or kick it. <laughs> you wouldn't even touch it with your Stomp hand. Stomp it. But I was crying so hard that two huge balls of snot fell out of my nose. That oh, was really embarrassing. And it's all on video. You can look up my snot. <laughs> Just oozing out of your face. Exactly. Anyway, it was a really great day for me. It felt like it was a reconciling of two things that I feel are pieces of my identity that have not been reconciled. And name those two succinctly. My love of Jesus and my queerness. And those have been reconciled within me, but not publicly. Yeah, that's a good Mm -hmm. thing. But anyway, now that the gay stuff's over with, it's time to move into polyamory and... (laughs) All the gay stuff is solved. Yeah. All the gay stuff is solved for me. I'm for you. <laughs> yeah. It's golden. That's I'm over awesome. the gay stuff. <laughs> it's just normal now. I feel like I've been having multiple conversations with lots of people about what it means to be in a marriage at our age in this mid adulthood. <laughs> Not midlife, mid-adulthood, and what it looks like to be fulfilled and who you go to to receive different things in life and what Mm -hmm. types of relationships are fulfilling outside of a primary partnership. That's a very interesting point and a core point for polyamory that it's like an acknowledgement that not any one person will ever fulfill all your needs. It might even be unrealistic to think they can. I would say not even might. It's unrealistic to think that Mm -hmm. one person can fulfill all your needs. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you must be polyamorous, which maybe some people might try to say like, yeah, it's the more evolved thing to do. But that's also within the poly community. There's going to be bias also coming from the other side. I do want to share different terms too. I think the go-to term these days is a mouthful, but ethically non-monogamous. I was thinking consensual non-monogamy. Is that a, another? Yeah, thing? consensual non-monogamy. So but I like it. I like the idea of ethical too. So we should at least discuss the idea of ethics when it comes to non-monogamy. Yeah, and some people do refer to I'm involved in an ethically non-monogamous relationship, and I think those go hand in hand. There might be a little bit of difference. But polyamory, a lot of people have different definitions for these words. Often polyamory would imply that there's a love relationship involved. We have to sing our defining terms jingle. Defining terms, defining terms. Here we go. Here we go. We're defining terms. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. 
That is a it's like a, a love ballad. Obviously, polyamory you know, you involves all love. different types of romantic or sexual relationships that don't need to involve love. And those can also be legitimate. So some people will then use we're in an open relationship or an open marriage. It's a little more vague what they allow, okay. but it implies that there's something either sexual and or romantic with other people. Consensual non-monogamy, it's a catch-all for all these alternative relationship structures. There are different constructions of that. So there could be mm -hmm. a female partner who has two male partners, sure. who is the only one who is sexual with her two male partners and the mm -hmm. male partner. So that would be not, kind of like a V structure. V so structure. So talk about v. V. In your example, the woman would be at the vertex, the, the forking part, and then okay. there'd be two men. But I guess a triangle or a triad would be if the two men were involved also. Okay. And involvement can also be blurry. Like you can be great friends, like very yeah. close friends, those two guys. Or and like build a partnership. Yeah. Some sort of working. And they might hang out together with each other. And maybe they have threesomes together, but it's the real romance or whatever the spark might be in the V structure. Similarly, it could be that the men only have a sexual relationship with each other, but the emotional love romance is with that common woman. Really, what can you imagine? You're designing from the ground up what relationship makes sense for you and makes sense for the other person and for the dynamic the two of you share. I'm going to say something and I want to see if this is fairly common on like a scale of one to 10, one being really, really uncommon and 10 being everyone's doing everyone it. does it. My understanding from the limited amount of exposure I have to polyamory is that the communication between people involved is really, really clear. And that talking about boundaries and talking about rules is paramount to entering into these relationships. Open communication is a pillar of polyamory. That's kind of a sticky question. Hmm. I would say in a monogamous relationship, you can much more easily get away with just assuming certain things about the relationship based right. on social conventions right. and tradition and the way most people's parents did things. It seems like it's not as critical to talk about a lot of these things. At the same time, there's people entering into non-monogamous arrangements that are still figuring out their emotional intelligence. Yeah. If I were to learn somebody was consensually non-monogamous, I would have an assumption that they're more likely to be comfortable with these types of conversations. Okay. Okay. And they've probably had a little more practice. That's certainly not going to be true across the board. Right. I want to share another scenario, which is pretty common that there's non-monogamous arrangements that are not consensual. And there's some gray area. Let's say a marriage is on the rocks and the man, it could be either one, wants to open up the relationship and sort of an ultimatum or puts pressure on just okay. like, I really think this is going to help us. In my example, it's a straight couple. The woman yeah. is like, I don't know. I don't feel good about this or let's have this conversation, but I don't know if I'm ready and end up getting dragged into something yeah, that they not quite prepared for. 
weren't quite prepared for. Similarly, in some of these situations, there will be even very clear boundaries and they are not honored. Maybe one of the rules that you have is we're not going to sleep with any of our mutual friends. Okay. And then that ends up happening. And so technically that person is cheating. Because the and, boundary has been set. Right. And okay. some monogamous people just assume that if you're non-monogamous or poly, it's just a free-for-all and you just get to do whatever you want and everyone's cool with anything and somehow cheating just doesn't exist anymore. Or that is not betrayal, at all. True. Betrayal exists in poly. Oh yeah. And if anything, maybe there's more opportunity for such betrayal. Yeah, when the gates move back, there's Mm -hmm. more freedom for joy and also more freedom for pain. Sure. It's complicated. There's a ton of pain in monogamy also. Monogamy can be super traumatic for people. And I wouldn't blame that on the structure. I would blame it on the dynamic between the people involved. It would be really good for our society to normalize having that kind of conversation even if you're in a straight marriage, (laughs) to be able to have and have it be normal, the conversation of, are we monogamous or are we not? And we're having that conversation. And what are those boundaries? And what happens if someone's penis falls off and sex is out of the question? What happens for the partner that wants sexual gratification from a penis? Do you have that conversation with Mike? Yeah, what if your penis penis? falls off? No, (laughs) have not. But as I have mentioned in a prior episode, I'm going through a season of low libido. And what does that mean for our relationship and the ability to- So your your metaphorical penis fell off metaphorically. Yeah. 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 No, not everybody has to have a penis in order to be sexual, even metaphorical. I'm using using it as a metaphor. (laughs) My metaphorical Yes, you're right. No, I agree with you 100%. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it hasn't, but the ability- And I feel like I've learned this from poly friends, the ability to open up a discussion and ultimately decide, no, we are not interested in pursuing consensual non-monogamy, but the ability to have that conversation without it meaning a commitment to something that one of us isn't comfortable with has been really powerful. That would be good for anyone in a relationship. Definitely. I know some couples, they'll have a monthly Mm check-in and they'll talk about the people that they're crushing on, whatever issues are happening in the relationship and even just logistical things. Like, yeah, like who's going to use the house I, at this time? Yeah. And I have dates on these nights and here's what's going on with our finances. A monogamous relationship can also totally have these check-ins. Right. Okay. So what's the di- Poly define- people, Yeah. Just have a lot of experience or have the opportunity for a lot more practice having yeah. these conversations. Yeah. I'm going to use poly just as an easier word than ethically non-monogamous, but Good. know that I am using it in the broad catch-all sense. Okay. Will you define define another term? Yes. You have to sing another jingle. I mean, no. Wait, what? You have to sing another jingle about it. <laughs> Every single time? Every time we define, define a, term, a term. Okay. <laughs> that was the worst jingle you've ever done. It's an anthem. You're a musician. Fun <laughs> terms. What is the difference between an open relationship and consensual nominality? Do they have overlap? I would say they're pretty much the same thing. Any language, it's not going to have a hundred percent consensus on what all of these mean. The latest word that everyone's using or phrase is consensual non-monogamy. And whereas before, I think people were using the term open, even though I think it covered a lot of the same bases, it was also a little vague. Yeah. And could borderline more easily on abuse. 
And I don't, I mean, abuse, like I abuse chocolate. (laughs) Or those situations where someone is in an open relationship under duress. Right. That could definitely be an open relationship, but I would not call that consensual non-monogamy. Okay, great. Because it's not consensual or it's consensual under duress, like you said. Right. Mm. So nobody should feel pressure to enter into something like this, but that can also be hard if one partner's really wanting it and the other person is super hesitant. How slow do you go? At some point, they would have to decide, is this relationship working out? If I need it to go faster, then my partner is willing. Either I need to suck it up and wait, or I need to just end this. Here's a big question. It's a little bit for a straight person or a person in a straight monogamous relationship. For someone like me, who's in a marriage with one person, It sort of feels like trying to ask your teenage neighbor where to find drugs. (laughs) We're at an age where this is going to start to become a conversation, right? Or people have been married long enough that they are starting to be able to talk about this openly and honestly. And how do you go about testing the waters with that? How do you find a person to be safe with? Does it have to be a relationship that you build intimately with, and so with we like assuming- a friend or are there groups of people like if I had a friend who wanted to find a female partner who is willing to be in a sexual relationship with a married couple who wanted to remain monogamous except for some kind of no strings attached play who's the drug dealer like <laughs> how do we get the hookup <laughs> Where do you find people to bang? Is that yeah. kind of the question? I mean, is it Tinder? Or to like, have do a it, relationship with? Again, clarifying, this is not for me. <laughs> Maggie's looking for someone to bang. No, <laughs> oh okay. God. We're assuming that they've already had the conversations. Yeah. And they've received the go ahead. Yeah. And ideally, the enthusiastic consent, not yeah. just like, yeah, I guess so. God. Yeah. But like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Or like, if if this means staying married or not, or staying in a relationship or not, I guess mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. But like really excited and interested. You lay out your shingle, you put it out there into the universe that this is what you're looking for. So yes, there's any number of dating apps. There's different strategies as to like how much you reveal and what you say. If it's really going to be ethical, I would say it's going to be best practice to divulge your situation. The full situation. You don't need to write an essay on it. Right. But it could just be like some people will just say ethically non-monogamous at the very bottom and not even like a complete sentence. Okay. Or consensually non-monogamous or whichever one. Yeah. Or I'm married and this is a side thing. Okay. For the people who are also on the site, you don't want to be deceptive to them. And if they're looking for something serious, then I think it would be useful information for them to not waste their time. Right. Or if they are looking for a serious open relationship, then that's also good. Or to add a secondary partner or for a real relationship. Yeah. And so how much of that you could just say ethically non-monogamous and then have that conversation when you meet for drinks Mm -hmm. about what that means to you exactly. It's kind of like a monogamous online dating situation. I don't know that it's best to say I'm only looking for people who are willing to get married and have five kids. <laughs> Even if that's what you want. Yeah. Uh, like that's kind of like a saying, little bit. I'm looking for a job and I will only accept a job that pays me $10 million a year. <laughs> 
kind of, I think there has to be a little bit of feeling it out and a little bit of trust building and laying out all your laundry might be overwhelming for other people. So you got to show good judgment in what you reveal, but I would reveal something. And putting CM. Yeah. I I don't know these letters and people use it with me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're a consensual nominee. I'm like, oh yes. Okay. CNM. If you put that at the bottom of a profile on a dating app, that's a good starting point. Yeah. That could be a good starting point, but also realize that an issue I had with online dating is there'd be a lot of people who it's like, oh, I've been thinking about this for a long, like, this is my life. This is what I've been doing for a long time. And then there'd be kind of like, it's a really pejorative term, but kind of tourists. It's like, oh, this has been cool. I've read about it. You know, I've talked about it. This seems like it could be something cool. And then we meet up and they ask all sorts of questions and we talk for like two hours. And then it's just like, yeah, this isn't for me. And, you know, doing that like three or four times in a row. It's just like, okay, I'm sure the same happens with queer dating. Yeah, that's where it's like, oh, I I really want to experiment with this. And some people are super into that. They want somebody new and fresh and everything that goes along with that. The same can happen in non-monogamy as well. I had that experience when dating women where they were like, you're a straight girl. What are you doing? You're swimming in water that you don't belong in. I would think that it would have been responsible to say something like, hey, I'm really new to this. And I testing the waters. It, it was in my early 20s. So I didn't really know how to do that. And I actually kind of was looking for that hand holding through the process. I didn't really get that from the people that I was dating. And I think it would have been beneficial to me to have someone be able to do that. But I think it is really hard not to tokenize the lesbians in your life. (laughs) It was easier for me to be in relationships with men because I didn't have to feel like I was tokenizing the men in my life versus the lesbian women (laughs) or queer women in general. And it doesn't have to be tokenizing to seek out advice. Yeah. You can always even upfront say, hey, can I buy you dinner and ask you a bunch of questions? (laughs) And maybe we can make out after. (laughs) And maybe make out afterwards. (laughs) Depending Uh, on how comfortable you feel. Yeah. Or even just reaching out and being like, hey, I've never made out with a woman. Mm -hmm. Would you be my first? Because I feel like super safe. Like that could be super cute. I mean, you're like, could I take you out on a date? And if it feels right at the end, could we make out? And then that's it. Yeah, you were talking about the Murakami book in a previous episode, Kafka on the something. Sure, Kafka on on the shore. shore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the idea of having a little bit more knowledge or a little bit more control than a person and maybe them being uncomfortable being kind of hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's good advice. And if you do know poly people, well, one, if you are interested in them, like, yeah, you could ask them out or have a conversation of what that might look like and where you're coming from. They are going to be more comfortable most likely to have those conversations than monogamous people would. You can also ask them, where are you meeting people? At this point, I have a bunch of friends and that's just the life we live. Yeah, that's, you know, and that took a long time to like find the right circles. Burning Man, some people love it. Some people hate it, but it seems that polyamory is pretty standard. I would throw out Oregon Country Fair as well. The Country Fair? Oregon Country Fair. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that where you go for 4-H uh, No. Oh my gosh. And... I'm so surprised that this is not something that you are knowledgeable about. I know a little bit about it. During the day, it's a big, fun state fair or country like fair. kids are there. And yeah, everything. kids. Okay. But at night, the people who work the fair, it's kind of like a bacchanalia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. Uh, I've heard Renfests can be similar. Oregon Country Fair is in a lot of ways akin to a Renfest, but much bigger in scope than a one-off weekend thing. It's a festival in the way that Burning Man is a festival. Oh. You don't have to pay to, or maybe you have to pay a certain amount to attend the day portion. But Mm. if you're working it, the nighttime is when the shit goes down. (laughs) Yeah. So there's going to be events like that in most big cities. Seattle has the Center for Sex Positive Culture. They also have the Erotic Arts Festival. And I've heard even SakuraCon can get pretty wild. That's like the anime convention. I bet, yeah. Any number of things. Each of those is going to be a slightly different scene. How would you, if you were not online, if you were not in a written format, how could you indicate that you were ethically or consensually non-monogamous to others? Like out in the world? Yeah. Do you have to wear a button? Is it like a wink? Is there there a special wink that goes along with it? There's an old school queer practice of hanky code where you'd wear a bandana in your left or right pocket to show whether you are, I forget which is which, but one side is the more submissive side and the Mm. other side is the more dominant side. And the color was advertising what you are into. Oh, okay. If you have a pink one, maybe you're into sucking toes, but it's on your left side. So you want your toes sucked rather than, okay. and you're looking for somebody who's willing to do that at sucking. This may or may not be fair, but having the side shave hair that are wilder colors, you're kind of advertising that you're in a queer scene. Mm, Okay. And that may or may not be true, but I've had friends who once they chopped their hair off and got a side shave and these are women, then other women started giving them a lot more attention. Interesting. Because it's an indicator. Yeah. It's very superficial. Yeah. And maybe not ideal, but if you look very straight, you're probably going to get passed over way more. How to signal that you are poly. I mean, there's the older generation, poly, they'll be wearing the Utila kilts. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, we need to make enamel pins with parrots on them. And if you have a parrot enamel pin, then you're probably poly because like poly Mm -hmm. is... And I think there's a poly flag also. You can put that on your car. I just got a pop socket that is... Is that the thing for your phone? Yep. It's the little like nub that you put on the back of your phone so, you so can that hold you can it. hold it easily. And mm. it's got the Demi flag on it. Oh, can I see it? I mean, it hasn't come in the mail yet. I don't know what that flag looks like. The Demi flag is gray and purple and black. And it's got like a, mm-hmm. a black line to the middle. Cool. Yeah, I've seen that. I feel like I've expressed a lot of the complications. Yeah, tell, talk about the good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. I I will say that for me, this is more of an orientation Okay. that no matter how traumatized or complicated or whatever, like this is kind of just who I am. And I don't know that I could ever be monogamous. Can you pinpoint a moment or a day or a season of time when you recognize that to be your solid state? Not a specific time. I'd say in the last, I don't know five years it just putting all the pieces together it's like oh yeah i can't imagine what it would take for me to be monogamous maybe if i didn't have any other attachments and somebody else that i just really vibe with they were interested but not quite ready i might be willing to go okay temporarily for some people they're just always cheating yeah i have some friends it's just like god damn they identify as monogamous but they're just Mm. every relationship they're cheating Mm. and i'm not saying that i couldn't be monogamous because of that right Um, no it's it's more just like i wouldn't be i'd be so restless yeah 
I feel like I'm being restrained. But it sounds like to me, if it's orientation, you could be in a monogamous relationship, but you would still be polyamorous. That's a good point. Yeah. Your state is you are poly. Absolutely right on that. I like that. Yep. Where I identify as queer demi, but mm-hmm. I'm in a straight relationship. That doesn't make my orientation any different. You're spot on. Okay. Good job. But that's really interesting. I don't think people necessarily assume that poly is an orientation. The I think there's debate of... whether it is or not. If nothing else, I think it just is like, hey, don't expect something else out of me. <laughs> I've had some people be like, well, you just haven't found the right partner yet. And it's Mm-mm. like, I mean, that's like telling a gay person. Yeah, you, would, you just haven't. You would found like the right women if, you, if only you met the right one. Yeah, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, that sounds like orientation to me. That's the way you have oriented yourself. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you chose it, that's mm-hmm. who you are. That's your identity. I think another thing I get out of it is. It can be super exciting having the new relationship energy mm-hmm. with somebody, being able to flirt. Flirting can be fun, but knowing that it can actually go somewhere. It's kind of like playing poker that mm. like poker can be fun, but if you put even a little bit of money on the line, it's more it's fun. It's so much more fun. <laughs> yeah. It's a way of connecting with people. There's all different ways you can connect with people. And building trust and intimacy, you can do that by going out for coffee. You can do that in very platonic ways. You can also do that by banging them, Yeah, (laughs) you know, or by having these deep, meaningful conversations about who else you're into. I would say trust building is one of the most important things that we can do. And this is a way for me to explore that trust building with lots of different types of people and explore different realms with the people that I'm keeping around long-term. I need you to get nitty gritty with me for a second. Yeah. A friend of mine and I were talking, we're both in marriages and we were talking about the thing that you and I just said at the beginning of this conversation, which is a big part of polyamory is the idea or the concept that one person is not going to be able to satisfy all your needs, right? Right. My friend and I, who are both in monogamous relationships, were rolling the idea around in our head that we're all some level of poly if we seek out other important relationships for different needs being met. I want to know if that's actually kind of offensive for someone who identifies as poly for people in monogamous relationships to be like, yeah, we're all on the spectrum of poly because I have a friend who I talk to about the Backstreet Boys. (laughs) (laughs) because my husband doesn't want to talk about the Backstreet Boys with me. That's not Polly. Where is the line of demarcation? Is it openness to sexuality in other relationships and having those needs met? Is there a line there? Or can you be polyamorous? Does it have to have romance involved? Yeah, great question. First, hearing that like, oh, everyone's on the spectrum is kind of exciting. Oh, right? that's it's, cool. Yeah. It's kind of like saying we're all a little bit queer. Yeah, which I or think we're is all, true. We're all a little bit on the spectrum yeah. of autism yeah. or ADHD or whatever it is. I feel like it can be a very connecting way to think about it. Okay. Now, some people might want to be very, I want to be in this exclusive underground club. Right. And they might be kind of threatened that it's becoming more mainstream. Or view that kind of conversation with two monogamous people as tourism, like you were saying. Yeah. I think if anything, it's normalizing it. It's two monogamous people acknowledging the legitimacy Mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah. The way I'm living it. So awesome. Okay. 
So you feel comfortable with me, your monogamous friend, normalizing the idea that relationships should not be limited to a single person trying to meet your needs and that it's good to think about everybody's a little bit on the spectrum when it comes to that. Right. Yeah. I could see a deep emotional connection. Like people have emotional affairs Mm -hmm. with each other. Like maybe they're not banging, but they... They're, so being, the line they're is falling not, in love with each other. Yeah, the like line is not sexual necessarily. Like that's yeah. not the dividing line. If you're dating, could you date somebody without it being romantic or sexual? It's like I can imagine a world where, yeah, that's true for somebody. But I think there's going to be an assumption yeah. that if we date, we're probably going to eventually have sex. And so I would say similarly, you know, you would think that there'd be something romantic and or physical. Yeah. But there might be some arrangement, like just having a conversation about the Backstreet Boys with someone who's not your husband. (laughs) Uh, That's not the same thing. But I do have, I feel like I have friends who I imagine in a future where my husband is no longer around and my kids are grown. And I mean, like if my husband died. (laughs) that I would really want to pursue like the cottage core lifestyle women gathered together to provide emotional support to one another. And I feel like I am building that community regardless Mm. of the potential outcome. You can be framing it as poly if you want. They might disagree and it's okay if they disagree. Maybe think about it more functionally. (gasps) Would it build trust among this group to harp on the (laughs) fact that it's like you're all poly together? Right. What I'm hearing from you and what I'm coming to the conclusion of is that it's helpful to be an ally to friends who identify as poly to be able to say, I don't have a problem with this. And here's why, because I think most relationships should be some level of poly when it comes to not having one person meet all your needs. If you go up to a gay person and say, I don't have a problem with you and here's why. Like, <laughs> no, I'm saying to people who, would, like, who do have what? a problem. I'm saying yeah. to communicate to someone that my friend is legitimate when they don't think that that friend is legitimate. Oh, like you person standing C. up for Yeah, and being like, okay come on, we're all at some level. Do you place all your wants and needs on your partner, your monogamous partner? No, normalizing it versus villainizing it. So that's how us monogamous people can be in good community with our poly friends. I think so. Yeah. Asking good questions and there can be shitty questions to ask. (laughs) Are you just poly because you want to bang everybody? Yeah, I think there's a different way to word that where it could be much more thoughtful and curious and caring instead of accusatory. I really want to be able to understand the heart of my poly friends deeply so that if I'm ever in a situation where a poly friend says, I really want to come to your church, I can say yes. Hasn't that happened? Yes, it has. Yeah. I want to check out church. I'm interested in a, a sort of spiritual life. Am I welcome or am I allowed? Or I want to be able to say like, yeah, I'm an ally for you. I want to be able to be ahead of that conversation with church leadership when my poly, what do you call a, a relationship that has more than one person in it? I know some people say a thruple op- if it's three. An open relationship. But if they're uh, a partnership with more than one person and they want to attend a church. Uh, some people have called it a polycule. <laughs> That's cute. Don't assume, and I'm not saying you are, but I think a lot of people might think that it starts off with a couple. Right. Or... There is a primary relationship here, and then everyone else is way down the totem pole side piece. That's often the case. 
Probably most have a primary pretty serious. It's us. And then there's the others. And then there's solo poly, which they very much question hierarchy. You can be more focused on one relationship over the other, but that can be very fluid. Good. One of the identifying characteristics of this is they don't want to be identified as a couple okay. with somebody. They are their own autonomous individual. They that's can still a, have really good meaningful relationships. Call that solo poly. I do have many friends who fall in that bucket. Okay. Now that you've explained how, and there's a lot of others. Those how are just like you view your status, ones. which is, this is my orientation. I can imagine someone like you who feels similarly showing up to a church and being like, I'm Polly. And how does the church address that in the same way that me being queer and having a husband, it doesn't impact anybody or activate anybody's anger or fear around the other or something different. So what I'm hoping is that I can not just relate it to if someone came to my church, but if someone came into my home, like how to be the best, most supportive of people who have done something different with their relationships than I have in my life. Ask mm -hmm. questions or not ask questions or ask if I can ask questions. Yeah, or... I, I think asking if you can ask questions is okay. usually a best practice. Letting them know that you by no means have to. And that's, I think even among my friends, we've started doing that a lot, even though we know that most of us would not feel pressure and would like put up boundaries if they don't feel comfortable. But just letting somebody know that no is a completely valid answer. Okay, good. Honestly, just treating them like, any other normal human. <laughs> because like, they are. Why are we yeah. making distinctions about like, this is strange or different anymore? Right. Like, and maybe they love talking about it. I certainly love talking about it. But if that was all we ever talked about, then maybe that wouldn't be as fun or as trust building. It wouldn't further our relationship. I'm really yeah. grateful for you. And I'm really grateful for my yeah. other poly friends how much I have had my perspective opened in the last five years or so. What are some big surprises that you've learned? The distinction between polygamy and polyamory was the biggest. Yeah, the Bible uh, pretty much only has examples of polygamy, yes. which is a man with many wives. Right. And my exposure to polygamy began with the show Big Love, which was a show that was made to parody or recreate the situation in Utah, the FLDS compounds where there were child brides. So when I started to understand that polyamory was a thing outside of polygamy, that was a big eye opener for me in a good way. It's been kept very well secret for me. And I have been in pretty open circles for my mm -hmm. adulthood, but I didn't know even in my early twenties, before I became Christian, I was not exposed to polyamory as anything other than polygamy. Right. And that and I being think that's like coming a crazy, from a traditional weird, Christian whatever. background. I think that's more common. The younger people I know around Seattle, I think they're all kind of just poly by default. Yeah, you're right. It's probably a little bit of an echo chamber in Seattle. Being and in queer Seattle. and being poly is very normalized compared to when I was a teenager. Oh, being normalized. Yeah, I'm absolutely in my own echo chamber. And I think it points to the privilege of my position that, you know, among my circle of friends, everyone just assumes everyone is poly and some people have to come out as monogamous, Yeah, which is sort of funny. And I mean, not it's not like a big deal or anything. And we do have monogamous friends and they party with us and we're close to them and all these things. We know who they are and, you know, we won't invite them to the sex parties. Right. 
I think we just all gravitate to each other. And you'll see like this poly, I'm going to use polycule in not as a polyfidelitous okay. uh, closed circle relationship of yeah. many people, but as the circle of friends. Yeah. This circle of poly friends and these circles merge. You'll start inviting some people from over there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh yeah, meet these people. And this horde of poly people where it's like, yeah, this is how we live. And this is very normal. And I don't have to think about hiding yeah. what this is. That so rarely crosses my mind yeah. that I can't let somebody know about this. The thought of entering a church and not knowing how to navigate it (laughs) is is sort of off my radar. Yeah. I am out to my parents now and that's pretty recent and it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't like a big sit down. I would say that was the closest thing to like, hey, here's this, not even that it was a hostile space, but a different climate where, you know, where where you're not just universally accepted by people who, you know, and trust. Mm -hmm. And they live somewhere else. So there's not a whole lot riding on it. They're not close by to see the various people I'm bringing home or going out with. I had an experience recently. Three of my very, very best friends are Polly, <laughs> you being one of them. I went to visit a friend and I experienced that feeling of outsiderness very mm. briefly until I owned who I am and who I know I am to myself. I had that self-realization of like, I chose monogamy and I am satisfied with monogamy and I feel good about my my decision. But I did have that feeling of I'm the weirdo here. And I think that's healthy like, every once in a I while could, for a majority. I could end up in a situation where I'm saying, no, thank you. I'm monogamous <laughs> and, and having to come out as monogamous. It was interesting. It was really good to be on the other side of it and kind of feel that subtle discomfort about who I am. Let me share more about different types of poly. So there are like the different relationship structures, but there's also the activities that people are looking for. Okay. Polyamorous would be like, you probably want to date and even have intimate, even loving relationships. You might be open to long-term commitments, things like that. Got it. There are swingers. They're in it just to have sex, okay. which is great. And so often, swingers like, there'll traditionally be... had been married couples who were yeah, usually having sexual relationships. They're straight the and there's all the sorts of baggage with the swinger title. I think a lot of people are starting to use lifestyle. I'm in the lifestyle community okay. instead of swinger. Lifestyle is a little more queer accepting and more sensitive to the current issues in our okay. society. There's the kink scene. Traditionally, the kink scene doesn't involve sex like at all. Okay. It's having usually dom sub style scenes in a public place. The parties that are thrown could be a focused sex party. Like it's mostly for sex. Sometimes it's more kink focused and often it's a blend of the two. I remember you telling me about a kink marketplace where you got to go around and experiment with. Oh, you got to do uh, tastings. Yeah, tastings. Yeah, so there'd be people who are very experienced with a given thing, such as caning maybe or or cupping, uh, you talk yeah, about the cupping. cupping or electricity play, and you have a little session, maybe like five or ten minutes, Exploring and that get thing. to get to see what that's about. And that was extremely eye-opening for me. Some people are going to be what the types of parties they're going to, and the types of relationships they're seeking out are oriented towards these types of activities and not these other types of activities. There's quite a bit of diversity within the consensual non-monogamous circles. Cool. So if you're interested, look into it. For sure. 
consensual non-monogamy, consent is the defining part yeah, of paramount. that. There are all different definitions of what consent is. I really like the Fry's model of consent. Tell Planned me about parenthood, it. I don't know if they invented it, but that's the one they like to give. So Fry's is it's freely given. Okay. It's reversible. It's informed. It's enthusiastic. And it's specific. Ooh, I love this. Fries. Fries. I think that applies whether you're having yeah, sex with somebody anything. new or getting into any like vulnerable situation. I'm going to write like, that down because I feel like that's a good thing to start with even very young children. Oh, absolutely. There's all different models. This is my favorite and there will probably be other models that come out over okay. the years. Freely given, is, reversible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Informed. Go- Informed, enthusiastic, enthusiastic, specific, specific. Yeah. Freely given is like, it's not under duress at all. They're totally free to say no. Yeah. That can be subtle. Also a big domineering looking man talks to a petite woman and asks her to do something. He might not be aware that he is. It's not freely. It's not freely given. And that she might be saying yes, because she feels unsafe or even uncomfortable in the situation. So a good way around that is telling them that it's totally cool if you say no. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. We were talking about asking questions. Ask the person if you can ask questions about it. So that implies that, yeah, it'd be totally fine if you said no. Let them know that there is an out and that there will be no problem with that. Reversible. Somebody can give consent and decide that they don't want to give that consent anymore. If anybody lords over you that, well, you said you would in a sexual (laughs) context. (laughs) You promised. That's a big red flag. And sometimes when I was first getting involved with playing with men, I would say up front, hey, I might freak out because I'm new I might to change this, my mind. And this. I might bail. Is that something you're willing to roll with? I prepped them for the potential reversing of yeah. my consent. As somebody on the flip side, you know, you can reassure them that that's you, know, okay. you can bail whenever yeah. you need to. It's all good. If you're sincere about it, that can be very trust building. So it sounds right? like Fry's works in both directions or needs to work in both directions. It needs to be an awareness on both sides or I mean, if that's there isn't, ideal, yeah, that's the I ideal mean, is to have awareness yeah. of these things on both sides. Most people won't have, I mean, they might have a general knowledge of some of this stuff, Yeah, but I don't know that anyone has like a checklist memorized. Right. Okay. And then informed is what am I signing up for? If you are having a herpes outbreak right now (laughs) and you didn't mention it when we were getting involved, I would say I was not giving informed consent. There is relevant information that was not told. Here's the situation. I'm picking somebody up and it turns out they're married and in a monogamous relationship where marriage is not a deal breaker for me if they're in a ethically non-monogamous situation. But I don't think I want to be involved in somebody's cheating. Right. And that's your choice. And And that's my choice. Informed is the most important factor to that. Like, Give me the opportunity to make this decision on my own Mm -hmm. instead of making the decision for me. And honestly, like if I'm trying to hide something or hoping that they don't find out about something, I'm probably not informing the person as I should. Yeah. Okay. Enthusiastic is the fuck yes. And I, (laughs) I have some friends who they make it a practice when they are asked something consent wise, when they're enthusiastic, they will literally say, fuck yes. 
to um, indicate that they're enthusiastic indicate that about they're this thing enthusiastic. and not hesitating. Yeah, not, and not giving, not trying a, to push themselves into something mm-hmm. they are not ready for. And that goes back to the freely given. Sometimes you can read, oh, this isn't being freely given, or you have whatever hesitancies, then you can be like, oh, well, let's actually talk about that first. Or, you know what, let's put a hold on this and maybe we'll circle back another time. Yeah. And then... The last one, S, is specific. It's I'm going. Go to, I am going to use form. nipple clamps during this. If if it goes a certain way, I'm going to use nipple clamps. That's a specific <laughs> thing that I'm going to use. Yeah, or like, hey, can I give you a hug? Does not mean can I give you a hug and grope you at the okay. same time, <laughs> right? Or uh, or I'm going to give you a kiss, you and I what I mean is I'm going to give you a kiss on your penis. yeah i will say sometimes i will and this some people might not like this approach but i'll be like hey would you like to make out and then if that's going well i might ask for consent for something else right further some people are like once you've started playing you should not there should be no renegotiation right it's good and i can i see where they're coming from if things get kind of hot and heavy and the person's not thinking straight, they might make a decision that they wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Because of impairment. I don't know that as a technical term, but that's a thing. Impairment could be uh, drugs and alcohol. It could be mm-hmm. you're super hungry or super stressed or super horny. Super horny. Yeah. <laughs> because you're just making out with somebody really hot. In the circles that I roll in that... Specifics are kind of loose. Well, we can play it by ear as we go along. That seems to be an okay thing. Because those boundaries have been developed and curated over time. Yeah. With almost all these people, like I've played with them all before and I kind of know what they're about. Um, I don't know if I will ever get comfortable with the phrasing of playing. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think he said that before that (laughs) kids have play dates. Yeah. I just am in a different phase of my life where play means a very specific thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, on the other end, when I hear moms talking about like having a play date, I'm just "Ah!" like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I, but I've been trying to use it a little bit more freely in the way that you use it so that I am more comfortable with it. Just so you know, that's one practice that I'm doing for myself to, to open my world up. Open it wide. I'm opening it wide. That's right. With a speculum. Perfect. <laughs> my life speculum. Your life speculum. Uh, so, I mean, this I think that's very informative. Uh, yeah, Thank you, Nick. Dr. Main, Nick. The main points. You're always welcome to ask me other questions. It's actually something I really enjoy talking about. And I thank you for being an ambassador. And I'm listeners, yeah, if you have other questions, ambassador. feel free to ask. We went to dinner once, you and I, in Ballard. At Sam Fermo, which is one of my favorite yeah, restaurants. For your birthday. Yeah. A few years and we ago. started talking about Polly. And I think that's what led to the conception of this podcast, actually, was mm. my like curiosity and lack of information about Polly, but my deep desire to understand and to incorporate it into spirituality, those kinds of questions yeah. that don't get asked a lot to incorporate it into my spiritual life and make it an important part of conversations that people are having. I hadn't thought about that as part of our origin story. Totally. Do you remember when we asked the waiter early on, what's the difference between a robot and a machine? (laughs) 
And that just like, he loved it. He thought that was yeah. the coolest question. And he gave us like free drinks or something. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe he was interested in maybe <laughs> sitting down with us and or more. <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, he was looking for a poly scenario. Didn't he come back with like some notes or something? Because like he had been yes, thinking about he it really, as really he was thought serving. About it. And he's like, okay, here's what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> yeah. And he brought us. is this, a robot is this. I think he did give us a round of free drinks and free olives for our table. We had, yeah. we got free olives. That was fun. That was that a was fun dinner. Fun. We got to do it again. Great. Let's make a priority. You're paying to... this time with okay. you have your new yeah, now job. I have a job. Now I have a job. <laughs> but we got to go to a restaurant. Oh, and it's your birthday, so we'll do a birthday dinner for you. Oh, but we've yeah. got to we got to come up with questions to ask our servers mm. so that we can like really engage the population. <laughs> That's my challenge That's right. to our listeners. Think of good questions to ask your servers at restaurants. They're people That's too. <laughs> they, are. they are. Have you served? Yes, I was a server at three Italian restaurants. I assume that there's sometimes when you don't want to engage and you just kind of need to hustle. Well, I will say it's not about the hustle. There are times when I don't want to engage because people are annoying or terrible. So even if it's busy, you're happy to engage the, with... Yeah, if the people are good. Cool, respectful cool. people. Yeah. And and I actually would appreciate it. Thank you for making this job, not just a job, but worthwhile. And I guess recognizing your humanity. Especially baristas. I'm going to just throw a pitch out for baristas. Baristas are not robots who make your coffee. They are human beings and you can engage with them and also should tip them well. Probably cashiers would be in a similar boat. Yeah. Man, I'm not always the best at making small talk. When I was a checker uh, at a grocery store, I really appreciated the people who would come through and actually ask, oh, you've how, done are, all you, these how are you doing? Yeah, I've done a lot of service jobs. Next time I'm going to ask the robot machine question to a cashier. Good idea. At Trader Joe's, Trader Awesomes. <laughs> yeah, as we used <laughs> Trader to call it. Awesomes. <laughs> you need to ask them while they're booping and beeping on their machine and be like, is that a machine or a robot? And why? And why? <laughs> tell me. Defend your you, answer. You have until the end of my groceries to, to, to tell me your answer. <laughs> Think hard. I only bought six items. <laughs> Everything's riding on this. Yep. Well, Maggie. This is a nice chat. Thank you. Yeah, good chat. This is a good way to spend a Friday before a sex party weekend. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my ramblings. They were all over really, the place. really good content. I'm, Good content in those I like links. how open and curious you are. Thanks. When I know most non-Christians think of Christians as being very rigid and traditional and yeah. not open Prudy. to anything Prudish. outside of that. Yeah. I really appreciate your willingness to still be friends with me, even though I'm <laughs> Christian. <laughs> I like it wasn't a deal breaker. We talked about this last time we got together to record an episode, but like I think Jesus probably got down. So I'm like like he went to sex parties with all his disciples. He did go to parties. Who knows what was happening? Yeah. It was like some, maybe he was super was queer crazy about it. Times. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, man. That's true. Who knows? He got, he got down with everybody he had like ghost sex. <laughs> There's a really good Anne Rice scene. In God, like the twelfth book in the Vampire Chronicles, the yeah. interview with the vampire, a guy. There's a ghost of himself, and in the shower, there's a sex scene with him having sex with his ghost self. Wow! And that's, it's actually like really hot. That's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I've been I've been watching the show, the series of The Time Traveler's Wife, which was a novel that was adapted into a movie with Rachel McAdams. And the movie was meh, but the show is actually really good. And there's a scene where the time traveler goes back and is giving himself head. Oh, yeah. Because like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't it's you? you? It's you. It's yeah. basically autoerotic. If you won't go down on yourself, why would you expect anyone else to? Exactly. You can do all the cleanup. Do Either exactly way, whether it's you or the other you. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I love it. Could you impregnate yourself? No. I mean, I guess <laughs> <laughs> like not, not without. I guess. Yeah, that doesn't work. But I like, I like the idea. Yeah. Of impregnating I mean, you could with sperm if you were a woman or, but you, yeah, anyway. <laughs> You could impregnate yourself with ideas from the future. You could change yourself in the fetus at wherever the point is where you differentiate between male or female. Yeah. And then, so you'll have in one history. Oh my gosh. This sounds like an amazing. Another history, you're female. This is an amazing novel and we need to trademark it immediately. (laughs) If nobody has done this, this is incredible. (laughs) I go back in time. I'm a time traveler. I go back in time to change my sex sex organs so that I can have sex. <laughs> Interesting. Beautiful. And then yeah. you have a kid and then I don't know what the deal is with the kid. <laughs> what are the chromosome? What are the genes yeah. in that kid? That's probably that, genetically that worse than having sex with your sibling would be. If you have sex with yourself and you impregnate yourself with yourself, is it the same genetic? Is that basically a clone? Is the kid a clone? Cause it's the exact same DNA. Oh yeah. Good question. This is the question we asked to our next server. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. Mark that down. And okay, what do good. you think listeners? Let <laughs> All right. You all are great. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is episode yeah. 15, I think. Or 16? This is 16. We're yeah. chugging along, man. Chugging We're going to be at this 100 is the real in deal. That time. That's right. Okay. We'll a big party. Thanks for, for your support. We love you. I love you. Bye. 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 I was sitting in the backyard sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there. She was mowing the lawn. Hey. I said, hey, Zazik, who's this girl back here? That's the lawn, my girl. What's she doing? Is she chugging on the telephone? Saxophone? Zaxophone. The saxophone. Yeah, play the saxophone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>